Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. So I am still kind of out here doing my thing. So as always, I do have to do the disclaimer that there is always a chance that I could get pulled away. Uh, I kind of picked this time not only because it suited uh, Brett, but also this was the time in which I was least likely to be needed. Um, So we should be able to get through the show, no problem. with that said, if you have not already seen the title, uh, tonight's show, or today's show, I should say, is uh, the topic is Tournament Prep and Tactics. Now, we don't really have like a script of all the things we want to talk about, but the, just the general idea is just kind of, you know, the pre-game, you know, like pre-tournament and then kind of during the tournament, just kind of, you know, things to remember and look out for. Um, but uh, with that said, I want to thank uh, my co-host, Brett, for uh, being on for this one. Yeah, of course. Um, I've been, you know, I've been thinking for a little while that I'd, I'd really like to get back into the swing of doing these podcasts pretty regularly with you guys. I guess it's not a podcast, it's a live show. But um, I've been pretty absent on the Tuesday nights because of the family stuff. But uh, And we don't always hit every Sunday, but I'm definitely trying to commit to at least doing every other Sunday, and even on top of that, um, I might even pick up the Sundays where you don't work. We want to push this content out to you guys and uh, get talking because I think, um, yeah, I think it helps. I think it's it's nice to hear kind of different opinions. And, uh, you know, I was saying before the show that you and I, you know, I'm kind of meta-y to an extent. You know, I play with a lot of guys online. I play with Euro people. Um I play with other American people and I view the game one way and then you just kind of do your thing and it really works out for both of us. So it's really cool to be able to share that with all of our listeners. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, I wanted to start with this topic because, you know, this will be like our first, I think, official topic that isn't, uh, you know, just talking about, 2021 releases and all the new stuff we've seen and I wanted to start with this one because with you know things are starting to look up you know tournaments are starting to happen more and more seeing them people constantly posting them on the Facebook pages and I figured this was a great uh, great topic to kind of jump into it now some have uh, might notice that we did have a similar topic a long time ago, uh, so you could definitely listen to this one and that one kind of as a pair. There might be some overlap, but it has been I think over over a year since we talked about anything remotely like this. Maybe in like a year and a half, because uh, man, it doesn't seem like that like it. But we've been doing the show a long time. I think we're going to be hitting a uh, hundred episodes here soon, so definitely go back and check those out so uh so yeah so jumping uh jumping into it you know talking kind of you know the pregame so i'll let you kind of take this this one off brett what what kind of mentality do you get in when you're when, you know when you're expecting like let's say a bigger tournament maybe not a local and maybe not necessarily like let's say like nationals or gen con but anything that's bigger than your your normal event Honestly, I, I approach them both the same. Um, the only preparation and kind of mentality that changes for me is when I do online tournaments. Um, I know that you and probably a lot of our listeners aren't necessarily, you know, crazy about the whole online gaming because you play to interact with people and 
and be able to hang out with your friends. Definitely, I do both, and it is most definitely a very different feel. Um, I'll just summarize really quickly because I don't want to ramble like I always do, but the biggest difference between playing an online tournament is generally those go like four or five weeks. You play one game a week. When you're playing online, you know your match like the day that they drop the pairings. You can go view your opponent's list. You can look at what you have, and then you have the opportunity to play a practice game you know, with your club mates, really as many as you want. So you literally get to play against the list that you're facing. You can play your opponent's list and have your buddy play your list, or your buddy can pick up your opponent's list. So you get some chances to, like, actually kind of do a dry run. And it's like, oh, man, well, if I play it this way, I lose. If I played it this way, it went better. If I deploy this terrain, it's better. You get the chance to experience with that. Obviously, you don't get that in real life. So my online tournament prep's a little bit different. I try to get at least one practice game if I'm particularly worried about the matchup or if I don't know the scenario that well with my list. In person, it's a totally different vibe because in person I try to keep it light and fun the whole time. Not to say that I don't have fun when I play online because I, I love my friends in the online community as well. We do have a good time. And I even, you know, interacting over the phone, I keep it light with them as well. You know, you make jokes and you do this and that. But in person, it's, like, super fun. I get, like, a little bit louder, a little bit more animated. Um, and I just make it super, super fun the whole time. So for me, when I'm preparing for uh, an in-person, I usually drink the night before. And then I go out for a <laughs> pancake breakfast that morning. And I kind of mess around and joke around with, people that I might be facing. I get to hang out with, you know, normally you come to Indy, so I get to hang out with you a little bit, and we get to talk. And so I guess that's the difference. But the most important thing is either way you go, either way, whether you're doing online or in person, just make sure that you keep it, like, lighthearted and fun. Like, the whole point of this game is to have fun. And, of course, people want to win. Just don't ever let, you know, your desire to win make a bad gaming experience for your opponent. You know, good things happen, bad things happen in games. Just go hoping to win, but always definitely keep it fun first. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, you know, you know, I and I can attest to the drinking part and the and the pancakes part. It's all, it's if no one has caught on yet, that is why Brett is like forty and zero in in big tournaments <laughs> so if you want any chance to succeed you need to drink the night before and pancakes at denny's in the morning um but yeah i i definitely agree with the the mindset you know because i'm a very competitive player but i think i've done you know i'd like to think i've done a great job at finding a perfect balance you know being able to turn turn it on and turn it off because sometimes there's some people out there that once they've turned on that competitive mode it's it's always on and whether or not you know they may realize that it is and though they might not notice you know it becomes easily noticeable by other people um so I think finding a balance for that is always the best as well, you know, because you can be super good at this game, be super competitive, but be, you know, 
you know, enjoyable to play against and, uh, you know, being able to, you know, turn it off when you're not playing um, competitively too. Because we have to realize that unless, you know, all of your non-tournament games are literally just tournament practice games, you know, you're going to have a lot of casual games. And being able to turn off that competitiveness is key to, you know, being able to, you know, in my opinion, keep a lot of your player base. You know, a lot of the people that go to your local, uh, I've seen a lot of, like, super hardcore competitive players not be able to turn that button off and discourage a lot of people because, you know, every game has all mixtures. You know, you have your competitive, your semi-competitive, and your super casual. Uh, And in a healthy environment, they can all coexist because everyone can kind of adapt to each other as long as you don't have the extremists that are in it. I don't really like using that word, but it's, I guess, for a, a lack of a better word, when you have like the crazy competitive or even the opposite of that, the so like someone that's so casual, they, you know, when they lose, they blame it on people, you know, you know, they call, start calling people power gamers and, you know, start complaining about certain things that people ran. Uh, Both are bad. You know, both, both the, you know, the person that's so super casual and the person that's so, completely competitive that it kind of drains the fun out of a lot of things so i think you know to kind of end that little rant you know finding a balance is the perfect or is it should be always the goal and to always kind of keep that in your mind of am i being a little too competitive for the situation you know what situation am i in am i in a tournament is it casual does my opponent know that i want to test a tournament list and so on you still there, Brett? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm here. I I, I agree. Okay. Um, I think at at some point I saw a subject on this when I was playing Warhammer. You've got the, I think they call it FAC and WAC type of gamers, where FAC is fluff or fun at all costs. Um, and yeah, the, it it can be equally bad and toxic. I think there's a good balance between the two, and I think. Either way, if you're a super big fluff head, you've got to be tolerant of people that are going to play stuff that's fun. I think an example of this might be, you know, if you show up with Sandor and Pyromancers because you really like that unit, you like the rules, Sandor goes really well in Pyromancers, you know, a person who's like fluff at all costs or fun at all costs, you know, they might want to give you a hard time about that. Like, well, Sandor would never be you know, accompanying a unit of pyromancers. It just doesn't make sense thematically. Uh, The pyromancers, you know, they weren't combat unit anyway. And then the fact that Sandor's in them and he's afraid of fire, you know, and you just got to let people have their fun. Um, It's fine if you want to build themed armies and you can make it work and it's fun for you and it makes sense for you and that's the way you like to play, that's fine. But you should never... Either way, you should never make somebody feel bad for what they're bringing. If you're like a competitive gamer and, you know, you, someone built a list that doesn't have what you would consider strong synergies or what you would consider to be competitive, you don't need to, like, berate their list and, and say anything negative to them about it. Um, it's always fine to 
ask your opponent, like after the game, you can say, hey, do you want any feedback? Do you want me to feedback on your list or feedback on some of the things that you did? It's always important to ask because um, a lot of times if you just start offering people advice and you're like, well, you know, if you did this and this at this list, it'd be a lot better. It can come off as kind of condescending and it can it can hit people the wrong way. You know, it can it can make them feel like you're basically saying that you know their army and their list better and that their way's not working. I, I think you get the idea. You know, there's definitely a yeah. fine little balance there and I think you can I think you can work with both and both every every gamer is important for the community, so yeah, I agree. Uh, for me, before like preparing for a tournament, I I want to say I don't really do a lot of testing. Um, I kind of already know, you know, at this point, kind of how things work together. I've played enough games. For me, leading up to a tournament, it more so comes down to deciding which lists are my best bet and i think that's that's also important that if you're expecting a tournament to know to know your area um you know let's say you're planning to drive really far away and you want to be competitive i don't think it's completely unreasonable to kind of want to you know ask you know a local hey what what kind of faction layout is it you know don't i wouldn't say go as far as like what's this person running and this person running? Just ask, you know, is there, does there tend to be more of this faction or that faction? It's just kind of a general idea because that is kind of one advantage to having, you know, a tournament on your home turf. You know, you'll know like 80% of the factions that are going to be ran uh, or a general idea, you know, because a lot of people, you know, they only have one army or they only have one competitive army. Um, you know, they might run, they might have two or three factions, but only one is one that they're comfortable with a tournament. So kind of, you know, finding out what the layout of factions are going to be will be kind of key in deciding what faction you play and what kind of list that you want to develop. Now, I know this is like semi-tailoring, so that's why I'm saying like a semi-tailor, you know, just trying to run a list that's to your best chances is completely fine in, you know, in a tournament. Now, as I already kind of mentioned, you know, if you're going to try to like sneak around and find people's exact lists and then tailor completely to that, I think that's going a bit far and that's kind of, you know, that I'm not really okay with, but, but, you know, kind of getting a general idea kind of gives you an idea of, you know, if there's going to be, let's say like 50% Lannisters there, well, I mean, I'm probably not going to want to run, like, a list with really bad morale. Um, you know, I might want to, let's say, if I'm Greyjoys, I might want to throw, um, you know, a lot of, like, things that are going to help me with morale in there or negate morale, uh, like the new Silencemen when they come out or uh, Asha uh, Commander or her attachment running uh, Balon Commander, stuff like that. Uh, it might kind of it might heavily impact the choices that you make in your list building uh, and keeping keeping an eye out for that, I think is important. Yes, I agree. Um, you don't, you don't want to totally like counter the meta, but you know, it, it's good to know um, at some of these locals I've gone to where I ran 
Night's Watch and Lannister and 1.6 when they weren't necessarily the meta choice because um, Free Folk and Stark were kind of dominating the meta at that time. You know, just knowing that local scene and knowing that it was unlikely that people were going to really try to cheese out with Stark and Night's Watch, I was comfortable running Night's Watch and Lannister, you know, even when they weren't super competitive. Um, at Nationals, I kind of... I mean, I kind of cheesed out with Night's Watch. I expected there to be more Night's Watch than there actually was. But um, I would say that um, I at least went a little bit off meta with them. Um, but I know I'm going to catch a lot of crap for playing <laughs> Night's Watch at Nationals. <laughs> anyway, but, um, yeah, there's definitely merit to it. Like, yeah, it's just... It, when you're playing in person, it can be like a regional thing because not everybody has access to everything in every unit at, like they do when they're playing online. So if if you've got a solid ID on who's playing and you're like, well, they're going to bring their, you know, they're going to bring their Lannisters because that's their painted army, that's the army that they like, then you can kind of go from there and, and figure out what you want to bring. But again, at the end of the day, it just comes down to play what's fun to you at the time. And, you know, definitely you're always playing to win. So you want to try to at least be competitive. But um, when I took, again, like Nightwatch and, and Lannister in 1.6, it was just, you know, that was what I had painted. And they, they were the armies that I had the most fun with. I reserved playing free folk or playing uh, Starks for online play. I never once took Starks to an in-person in 1.6, even though they were, you know, rated as the highest faction. Yeah, uh, and I think it it just took a little while for that Stark uh, meta to develop because they they weren't like super easy to figure out right out the box. But once you kind of figured out what they were meant to do, they kind of did it extremely well. Um, but I would say also, you know, when considering like prepping for a tournament um you know the night before i like to get all of my stuff together you know i kind of run through my head okay if i was playing a game right now what would i need i mean some people they just kind of have all their stuff in a bag so this really i guess wouldn't apply to you me i play a lot at home at uh, a local game club and at other places so my stuff's constantly being moved i also provide armies for a number of different people who don't have armies or that want to try a different army. So I'm constantly moving things all over the place. But the night before, I like to kind of run through my head, okay, if I was playing, what do I need? Okay, well, I would need a tactics deck. I would need dice, rulers, tactics board, tokens, terrain. Uh, in my scenario where I pretty much, uh, for my locals, I kind of run the tournament. So I provide uh, all of the 4x4 four four mats um, anyone looking for a mat, uh, a great place is urbanmats.com, or I think it's .com. It's, uh, it is overseas, uh, somewhere in, uh, in Europe. Uh, so shipping can be a little pricey, but if you can find a couple people that all want a mat, uh, the mat itself is, is a nice, uh, fair price and the quality is amazing. Anyways, so I got to prep that. I got to prep a bunch of other stuff. I make sure that I kind of spoil my group a little bit. I don't know if anyone from my group is listening, but you know, I bring 
enough like castle walls and terrain and cards and objectives and uh, all the mats and the list to sign up for and pens and everything to where they literally just have to bring their basic stuff and they'll be set. But, you know, just kind of running through your head what you would need because, you know, I've only had it happen like twice, but when it does, you know, it, you're – for me, I don't know, like, you're kind of like your heart skips a beat. You're like, oh, what the heck, you know, when you're like, I don't have any of my tactics cards. How can I play this game? <laughs> so, uh, you know, kind of run through your head. Uh, you know, if I had a little more time now I'm thinking about it, maybe even a checklist. You know, just write up a checklist that you can make, like, 20 copies of. And then before a tournament, you just you pull one sheet out and then you just check it. Could even have one ch- one sheet with a bunch of sets of boxes, and then each you only you only use one row for every tournament, and then you check it off that way. And then again, I guess that's kind of my OCD. I, I um, yeah, I need to see some help. I think. <laughs> what about you, Brett? You just kind of wing it. Yeah, I, I really I just wing it. <laughs> generally, what I do so. <laughs> borrow borrow Shane's stuff. <laughs> yeah, in an emergency, I'll borrow his stuff. <laughs> but it seems to work. Maybe that's that's why uh, I'm not forty and zero. <laughs> I come too prepared. Oh yeah, there's, um, there's too many secrets. <laughs> I can't I can't tell yep. them all. Yeah, we don't have time for that in the show. So. <laughs> Uh, is there anything else that you kind of do like pre pre game, even like, let's say the day of, let's say after the pancakes and when you like get to the shop, any, any ritual or order of things that you like to get done? Um, you know, um, not really. I'm always like super nervous. So I get my list written down. I kind of, think over my synergies and I try to kind of channel all of the focus in. I, um, you know, I let Susie know that I'm going to be playing and that I'll message after the game. So I totally ignore any distractions outside of the game, um, almost to a flaw. (laughs) Sometimes that (laughs) happens and I'm completely oblivious to it. So I definitely just get locked into that zone when I'm playing in person at these events. I'm just hyper-focused on what's going on in the battle and what my win condition is and what I need to be doing. And I, I really just try to get all of those distractions out and not let anything influence me and uh, stay hydrated, I guess. <laughs> I try to drink. I usually <laughs> end up killing like five of those big water bottles the whole time because I get really nervous and sweaty. You know, you actually burn a lot of calories when you're playing competitive games. <laughs> yeah, at, at, right before every one of your matches, you like you, you know, everyone's like, Where, "Where'd Brett go?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, he's he's in the bathroom." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I gotta. Uh, I, I try not to interrupt the match for it, but sometimes. Sometimes I have to, so yeah, I definitely, I definitely stay hydrated though, and I try to drink water. <laughs> Pro tip: one of Brett's secrets is he goes into the bathroom, and then he, uh, you, 
text your wife for tips. You send her a picture of the battlefield. <laughs> what should my next move be? <laughs> yeah, she's she's the re- she's the real MVP. <laughs> um, I'm as far as like before the actual match. You know, again, it's kind of OCD for me. I I'll get my entire army like. 100% perfect on my like army. I have like a board to carry it from table to table and it's like perfectly aligned and every which way with all the cards stacked a certain way. It, it's like massive OCD, but you know, I make sure that everything's ready to go and that I, you know, as soon as I'm, you know, given my table number, I can go over that table and just lay everything out perfectly. Um, and not lose any time. Cause I know there's been a couple games where, you know, no, you know, I can't say like there, it was intentional. It didn't look intentional, but yes, my opponent is kind of, all of the stuff's a bit haphazard. And so we end up losing like seven minutes on our match, which, you know, a lot of times you only get about 90 minutes just because, you know, not really being like prepared for starting the game immediately. Uh, and that's one thing I don't ever want to happen like I don't want to be the cause of that so that's kind of one mentality I have approaching a table is I lay my stuff down I put it where it needs to go and then okay let's get right into it you know I kind of try to take the initiative of you know if we're doing random terrain you know we roll right away uh, we figure out what's where and we get the table set up that way you know we're not losing any time Um, as far as like in the game I'm you know very similar to what you were saying, Brett, is I'm super, like, focused. Um, when I was younger, bef- right before I got into, uh, uh, like, tabletop games, you know, I was super into, like, board games, mostly chess. And so I'm constantly thinking, like, as many moves ahead as I can. Um, you know, if it wasn't for tabletop games, that's probably what I'd probably, you know, I'd probably still be doing that to this day. I'd probably, like, be doing competitive chess. But, um, but yeah, it's I'm always trying to think of the next thing, uh, and that kind of goes back to one show that we had talked about. How um, I had brought it up that you know I play every faction and I play them all a lot. You know I don't I don't really have I have factions I favor, but I play all of them, and I play against all of them, to where I know everyone's trick and their strategies and maybe not like better than they do, but I know pretty much every curveball that could be coming my way. Um, and so I'm always trying to have an out. I'm always knowing my next move. So I get super focused in that regard. I'm always, um, pre-measuring. So that is kind of one of, one of the upsides to TTS is that a, lo- a lot of that's all projected out there, you know, exact movements and distances from each other. I think that's where in-person play, um, you know, people tend to lose sight of that. And, you know, you could be surprised by something that you eyeballed that you're like, there's no way that that's possible and then you measure it and you go I guess it is or you know so I'm constant especially with ranged units um, I have like a, a nice nifty uh, tool where it's um, it has uh, a 4 inch 3 inch a 2 inch and a 1 inch on all the sides of it uh, that way I can measure any of those and so I'll put the 2 inch up to a 
you know, a ranged unit and then use my long ranged ruler to give me a projection of, you know, where they could possibly shift and then shoot. Um, so trying to stay hyper-focused, I think, helps me a lot. I think that's, you know, uh, to kind of mention what you were talking about at the beginning of the show, you know, there's a lot of people that don't really play TTS. I think for me that's a big reason why. Um, I I don't think I would nearly be as good as I am in person as I would online. Um, I would get way too distracted, like, you know, I'm really competitive. I can be really competitive for tabletop games and board games and anything in person. But like video games and things like on the computer, I'm complete opposite. Like I play, you know, if anyone's played it, you know, like Dawn of War, I play that thing on easy mode. You know, <laughs> I you can't give me a challenge on a video game really. You know, the hardest I can usually do is like normal mode, unless like I'm playing like a co-op game. Uh, <laughs> Like, if it's Gears of War, that's, like, my favorite uh, shooter game. You know, I could play, like, that on, you know, the hardest mode, like, co-op with a friend or something. But, you know, any, like, real-time strategy games or anything like that, I just, I don't have the patience for it. Uh, the card game I played before Ice and Fire, um, it eventually got, the rights got sold off, and so the game ended up dying. Uh, well, as far as, like, the real product getting... Um, made anymore so a lot of people moved to online uh, for it's called octagon and it, uh, I used to play on there you know in real like in person I used to make top eight um, top 16 in hundred you know hundreds of people events and in on octagon I, I would be lucky if I won uh, you know if I won more than I lost you know it just it's a different beast for me and I can't because I can't hyper focus on the match, uh, I can't you know, like I I don't do nearly as good. And so for TTS, I think I would just get too frustrated, uh, and that's kind of why you know I've avoided it a little bit. That and having four kids at home and trying to play you know a game on the computer, I I barely touch my Xbox anymore, let alone you know any really almost any video games, unfortunately. Um, but uh, but you know. Anyways, getting back to, you know, the like the movement, you know, that's something that you don't see that often in person, like as far as like constantly measuring. Um, you know, you'll you'll see someone kind of measure like here or there, but like, okay, you made like one move, okay, let's kind of see where this is at. And I don't I'm not talking in the sense that you're gonna waste so much time doing it, but okay, before I make this move, let's just double check. Okay, all right, make the move, you know. Is there any, uh, how about you, Brett? Is that uh, something that you do at all? In, in which part? Like the, just the, the measuring, like all, like because I know you, I gave you, uh, you know, a set of the small council rulers. We have like, a 12-inch, we have a, a 6, a 5, and then that nifty 4, 3, 2, 1 ruler. Uh, yeah. I usually r run, like, two sets of all of that. That way I can measure, like, so many different things all at once to factor everything going on on the board rather than just kind of, oh, can I make this charge? Yeah, um, absolutely. I, uh, I try to be pretty aware of what's going on in the battlefield. Um, generally... 
I've got, you know, everything from their commander, everything from their tactics card, everything that they can do to me, I know, and I kind of run that through my head. A lot of the times I even talk it out loud with my opponent just to make sure we're on the same page, which is a really important thing to do, um, whether online or in person. It's definitely always better as far as being a sportsman and then just avoiding issues and arguments is to be very, very transparent with your opponent with what you plan to do, what your intent is, what your opponent's intent is. So I'll take, you know, I'll take my ruler and maybe we're starting the round and I'll measure here and I'll say, you know, do we agree that this unit's in range after you shift? Do we agree that even if you shift this way, you're going to be in my front and not the flank? Can we agree that this would be a five-inch charge if you were to try it? Can we agree that, you know, any of those things? It's really important to stay on that page with your opponent because being transparent like that, you're both kind of letting, getting each other on the same page, but you're, you're letting your opponent know that, like, um, hey, this is fine and, and this is what I'm agreeing to now. So if you're thinking about doing it, let's be on the same page that way. You know, it's always a bad feel. If you're, if you measure it and you're like, okay, I think I can get my, I think I can make this charge on a four. And then if your opponent gets, whether it's cheeky or like super, super, super like, um, OCD about the rule and they're like, well, it's like just a tiny, less than a millimeter over four inches. You rolled a four, but you needed a five. So I'm not going to let you land this charge. You know, that kind of thing. It's always kind of a feels bad. It's better to always be on the same page with your opponent. I think that's one of the things we talked about when we were talking about just gaming etiquette in general. But it matters a lot in tournaments as well because stuff can be on the line and, you know, some people want to win a lot more than others. So especially if you're playing a tournament game with, you know, somebody who's playing on the competitive side, you just want to be on that page with them and then hold each other accountable. So I measure a lot, and I always make sure that my my opponent and I are on the same page, and it just seems to work out better. I've never had any issues in any of my matches where I got mad at my opponent or my opponent got mad at me or even just frustrated. Mad's kind of a scary, angry word, but it's just best. It's just <laughs> best not not only to heighten the experience for both of you, but it's just best as a feel-good kind of thing. I wouldn't ever, I wouldn't feel well. I wouldn't feel well about the win if my opponent thought he needed a five and he rolled a five, and then I was like, oh, no, no, that's not going to work. You know, I, I want to be on the same, same page with them uh, about stuff like that. And I even take it a little bit further, you know, so much so that if they make a move and they pivot a certain way, I'll grab the laser real quick and I'll say, you know, if you pivot that way, this unit's in their flank. You might want to pivot it a tiny little bit more unless you're okay with that happening. And, you know, I, I, for me, some people don't want to play like that, but for me, I just feel, I just feel better about everything being clean, you know, to, to not necessarily help my opponent out and tell him, like, hey, here's how you can beat me. But I do do that sometimes too. <laughs> I almost, I almost <laughs> yeah. lost round. I almost lost round. I almost lost round one and at nationals because I, I told my opponent like, well, this is what I would consider like the perfect play. You've got the best chance to bring me down if dice are in your favor. So you can do this and you might beat me. But um, yeah. outside of that, you know, I, I just, I like to feel clean at the end of it. I like to feel like, you know, I played my best and I did my best, but I don't ever want to feel like I, cheesed somebody or cheated somebody or 
it's I mean it wouldn't be cheat it wouldn't be cheating, but I just want my opponent to be as happy about the game as I am. So that's a really important thing to me in every game I play. So um Yeah. I think uh yeah, the biggest I, word in, in there is intent. You know, that's like super important word. You know, it's just the intent. Uh you know it brings everyone on the same uh playing level. Um you know, it's expressing intent really does solve a lot of problems. Um like a big one that happens a lot uh in my gaming group is, you know, if you have the objectives, uh any of the missions where it's, there's three of them uh, across the middle, you know, lining up to where you can march and not have to like pivot or do anything that's literally a march will bring you on top of it and in line with it because you have to cover it fully uh you know let's say like clash of kings pulling your unit and then measuring and then showing it to where it looks like your trajectory of where your unit's going will land you 100 percent on it that you know something even like that just be like deploying them there measuring it and and saying to your opponent, my intent, my intent is that if I just march straight, I will land 100% on this objective. And, you know, that's important, uh, you know, and something so simple because I can't tell you how many times where someone has, you know, done that, not, uh, not saying intent and then march. And then they're no longer, you know, when they finally get to the objective, they're not fully covering it, even with a pivot. Uh, and, you know, something like that could be a, like a super, like, feels bad. You know, the fact that now you're going to lose out on a victory point all because of, like, some slight miscalculation uh, on the way that your uh, unit was deployed, even though you intended for it to be a certain way, you know. So that's what we have started to do at uh, at our group is, you know, when we deploy like that, we go, okay, my intent is that I'm going to get on that objective if I just stay going straight without pivoting or doing anything else. Now, is there uh, anything else that you kind of like, um, any other, like, tactics that you use when you uh, go throughout your your tournament, your tournament games opposed to, let's say, a, you know, just a casual game or something else? Um, well, I know, of course, and, and you know as well, but going through like a three, four round, five round tournament is like mentally exhausting. It's so, so, so taxing on you mentally, you know, trying to, trying to build up uh, steam and then maintain that steam throughout, it can be really difficult. Normally by the fourth game, I'm basically fried. So the thing I, I try to do is, um, you know, I just, I stay focused, but I really just try to, you know, keep reminding myself that I'm there for fun. Hey, I'm here for fun. And I, I try so hard not to get tilted. And I know that that can be hard. There's, crummy dice rolls that come up. There's crummy things that happen. You know, um, in my very last game, I just played online. Uh, it was Chris Tran and I, and we had a Lannister, Lannister mirror. And it was, uh, he, I played, 
intrigue and subterfuge at a really important moment because he dropped Joffrey to set his red cloaks off. I counterplotted it. I owned the crown because I had Baelish on the crown. He counterplotted my counterplot. And so I resolved first. I rolled a one. I re-rolled. I rolled a one. Then Chris Tran rolled, and he rolled a two. And I've never seen anything like that in all of my time like playing this game. I've never seen that type of bad luck with a counterplot, you know. Re, th- basically three straight three pluses failed. You know, single dice rolls. For me, I re-rolled the same dice. I know some people for counterplot roll like two dice. And I, I just feel like you should always re-roll the same dice that you roll because if it turns up a one, it's pretty unlikely that it's going to turn up a one again. But, wow, it happened. And it's like in those moments, you know, like I know we use the terms like getting tilted and, and, and stuff like that, and then we kind of don't go into the psychology of what happens there. But, like, it, it, you can get yourself into such a bad position if you psych yourself out of the game. Like if something bad happens, a unit dies before you want it to die. A unit has really bad luck and fails a charge, and now they're open and exposed. If you get tilted, basically what it is, um, you know, you feel like this terrible thing happened now. I have to change my whole plan, and I have to compensate so badly for this. And then a lot of times what happens is you, because of your frustration, and you start making moves that are desperate that you don't necessarily have to do because you're trying to recover from whatever bad just happened, then you can end up snowballing that one bad luck situation into like a horrible game losing situation. And so it's really important to kind of maintain your focus, but also just try to keep yourself calm the whole time. Stick to your battle plan. If your battle plan is to survive, hold objectives, and just win the game by not dying, then stick to that. Even if one of your units dies from some unfortunate kind of luck, if your battle plan was to stay alive and just hold the missions, you know, check your win condition. Look around at what you have left and say, can I still do my original plan or do I have to deviate from it? Because it's that deviating from your battle plan that can get you into trouble. Like, for example, with that failed charge, if it exposes your flank, you know, you might have a plan for this unit on your right flank and they're supposed to go like intercept their flaidmen after their flaidmen activate. If you then activate them and you pull them up to cover your flank, you've deviated from that plan and now maybe something even worse happens. So just always remember to have that battle plan in mind. You can look at your opponent's list, you can look at the mission, come up with a basic battle plan. And if that's your plan and that's your win condition and you know that you can win by doing that, Keep going back and checking that win condition. Keep going back when things change in the battle and say, can I stick to my plan or do I have to deviate? Because I think a lot of people get caught up in that, like, oh, well, one of my units died. I didn't expect that. Now I have to go kill one of their units to even the activation count again or take their tempo away, and you can get yourself in big trouble. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, getting tilted can be can be what is ultimately like your demise like not whatever happened to make you get tilted usually in this game more so than a lot you can recover from something super bad like i've played a lot of games before this one and never have i seen a game 
allow you the ability to come back as easily as this game. Um, you know, and for example, uh, just because the first one to come to mind, you know, Warhammer 40K, I can't tell you how many times that, you know, something big happens and it's it literally is downhill from there. Like, it's just a slow, grueling process to eventually get the outcome that everyone knew was going to happen. Uh, this game, I cannot tell you how many times some, you know, like a unit gets one shot and, you know, my opponent, like, gets in the dumps because they think that the game's basically over. And though the game might still end in a loss for them, it ends up being like a difference of one, two victory points, something super close. Uh, and, I mean, for me, uh, obviously I want to win, but my favorite games are the close ones, whether I win or lose. Again, I'd rather win, but, you know, if it's a super close game, I mean, that's that means, you know, you were, you both were going head-to-head and to, you know, get that win. And I think, you know, getting in, into that mindset can really throw you off. I mean, I've mentioned this multiple times with even making that your strategy, playing certain uh, strategies, certain factions or commanders that have, like, that element of control that can, uh, you know, for example, let's say Tyrion Commander, that can really throw your opponent off their game I mean, that in itself can get you the win. You know, when people are, are tilted, when they're they're not really thinking straight, they're not playing to their strengths, that's when, you know, you're going to be able to, as a player, capitalize on that. But to reverse that back into the topic we're talking about is that, uh, you know, don't let your opponent get that out of you. Don't, you know, even even if you are slightly tilted, don't even show it to your opponent because some people will be able to capitalize on that if they know you are tilted. Um, you know, just, you know, and I use this even for real life, you know, advices. It really helps to have like a glass half full kind of perspective of life or even just this game. Uh, you know, avenues you still have for success when something kind of goes the wrong way, you know, constantly reevaluating, like you were saying, Brett, just, you know, reevaluate, reevaluate your own game plan or even, you know, as I was mentioning before, you know, look ahead at so many, you know, all the future moves, like so many moves ahead and figure out what a new game plan could possibly be. Um, I can't tell you how many, you know, I'm, I would say I'm probably a little more unorthodox uh, with the way I play. Um, And I think that plays to my advantage that, you know, my opponent is expecting a certain algorithm of moves, you know, kind of checks and balances and different plays and counterplays. And I just like to play a different way. And I'll, I'll constantly throw a different move in there that my opponent's just like, they give me like a sideways look like, okay, if that's what you're doing. And, you know, cause even though a lot of you, you know, kind of know my play style, but for those that don't, my play style is aggressive, aggressive with a, you know, a splice of defense in there, whether it be defense through morale, armor, or healing, but it's, it's an aggressive faction, even though with all that said, 
I play it kind of reserved. You know, it it throws people off when I don't go gung-ho charging everything in when I'm constantly moving and using my maneuverability or just my positioning, which we'll, we'll get into in another subject or another uh, show, uh, unit positioning and all that stuff will be its own show. But, you know, it's, it's something that if you can master that sort of stuff, it can really throw your opponent for a, for a loop. Um, you know, sometimes you have to make that long ball charge. You know, you have to go for that because your opponent might go, okay, I'm going to move my unit like to where you're going to need a five or a six to charge me, and I know you don't have an ability that lets you auto charge or get to reroll. Okay, well, sometimes, I mean, risks pay off, especially, you know, looking at the entire board, you got to ask yourself, and, you know, and this applies to, like, every action like every time something changes on that board you got to reevaluate what are my uh risk factor of doing this or that for example in this scenario if your opponent moves up just far enough away where you there's a decent chance that you're going to fail a charge well they're already activated do they have a way to attack you okay you know you may only have a one in three chance to get there but if you get there it's big um you know, obviously there that's there's a lot more to it than that. But you know, just kind of being unorthodox can really throw your opponent, especially if they're a more experienced player. Which sounds weird, you know, because more experienced players are ready for a lot of things. But I think some sometimes experienced players can kind of fall into that trap of they've played the game so much that a lot of the stuff kind of falls into place in the same rhythm, the same order. They know that if they do this, you got to do that. And if they do that, you already know your next move is going to be this. But if you don't do that, if you don't fall into a rhythm that they've chosen, then you can kind of start to set the pace yourself. What about you, Brett? Yeah. Excuse me. Whoa. I'm changing room, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm changing I'm changing rooms so my everything's gonna change. Um, yeah, I think I think a trap that people fall into in general playing the game is you know, they obviously one one way of winning this game is to kill, right? And for not just the victory points that you win from killing, but when you knock their tempo down when you knock their activation count down, when you knock their field presence down, obviously that helps you to win the game no matter what mission you're playing. But I think people sometimes forget that there are ways to play this game. There are list designs that you can build that strictly play the mission, stay alive, and basically just deny points to win. Um, you know, if I can secure three of the five objectives, then you have to come kill me if you want to win. Otherwise, I'm just going to outscore you. That is what the premise of Old Free Folk was. And I really liked Old Free Folk prior to Sire NCU because they could win the game without really killing you. They just could tie you up and annoy you. Now, with that said, I'm going to specifically mention uh, Lannisters 
because I just don't see a whole lot of people doing it. You can build Lannister lists with two guard. I think three, you're probably lacking too much mobility. That movement will really hurt. But the thing with guard, you can create a unit that people just don't want to attack. You can do the same with, like, Blackguard with Tywin Commander because you've got Horrific Visage plus Lannister Supremacy. You just don't want to attack that unit. You can pay such a steep price for, you know, trying to kill them. It's almost not worth it most of the time. So you can build a list like this that's got some, you know, High Sparrow for healing, got Tycho for healing, or something like this, or you're bringing Cersei to secure those... uh, Hear Me Roars to get those nasty panic tests that let you heal off of Fealty and Sparrow. There's ways that you can play where you don't necessarily just have to go kill them. And I, I like that style of play as well. And I, I do think that sometimes people get into this feeling like, well, I need to be charging turn one if possible. Sometimes you have an opportunity to make a charge. Um, sometimes your cavalry is 12 inches away and it's a really juicy target just seems really, really tempting, but sometimes it's not worth it. Even though you're getting the jump on them, it may not be worth it Um, because a lot of times that can be like a bait kind of situation where you take one of your units and isolate them. And while it looks really nice to be charging and getting the jump on them, you might be falling into a trap because your unit might be isolated and alone. Like, my hedge knights I just played with a sparrow list. I had an opportunity to charge the red cloak. I didn't do it. Even though it was a two-plus charge, maybe in a perfect world I killed the red cloaks in two rounds, but the problem was going to be going and charging the red cloak was moving me away from the high sparrow and a weirwood tree. So I was giving up two morale against another Lannister army, even though maybe I could have killed his red cloaks, it just wasn't worth it because if he started focusing on the hedge knights when they were vulnerable, he could have killed my hedge knights and broken my battle line. Um, it would have also left a hole in my battle line with the hedge knights not there. So sometimes playing the long grind game is equally important, I guess, is what I'm getting at there. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of, like I was saying, you know, there's always this, this constant reevaluation of your, you know, of the outcome of every action you make is going to be, you know, just trying to weigh, you know, the outcome, whether or not it's beneficial enough for you and not just immediate beneficial, but in, in the overall grand scheme of the game, you know, what might, let's say be beneficial for the next like four turns within that round might not be an overall net benefit at the end of the round when, you know, certain things have already come gone into motion and, you know, you're down in victory points now because of, like, an immediate gain that you felt you had. Um, it, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, you know, there's there's no, like, perfect answer for any situation. You just kind of have to go based on your own judgment, you know, what, you know, and it's not just a a simple math of am I gaining more wounds or am I taking off more wounds from my opponent than my opponent is of me. It's, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot to factor. Um, 
you know, you have to factor positioning. You've got to factor total, you know, wounds dealt and taken. Uh, you got to factor your positioning for the next coming round. Um, you know, you have to factor victory points. Um, you know, I've had games where my opponent set up, uh, did something and set up his position, but then gave up something. Allowed me to allowed me to barely squeak to ten. Like he was gonna, you know, if it kept going, he's gonna with the positioning he just gained, he was gonna, you know, easily run away with the game. But it allowed me just enough to be able to get ten victory points and end the game at ten nine. But had we then gone to the next round. You know, he was in such a good position that he was he was probably going to take it away, and I had no way to come back. But you know, you just have to weigh all the factors, and again, that's not an easy thing to do. But it's definitely something to try to practice uh, if it's something that you feel like you need a little practice on. I, I mean, technically, I think we all do. <laughs> I don't think there's there's ever going to be a situation where anyone masters that, but it's definitely something to keep keep uh, in the back of your mind. So, um, let's see here. What time are we at? We're just about an hour in. So we kind of start wrapping up a little bit. Uh, It'll be a little bit of a smaller, uh, a shorter uh, show. But um, just uh, as as like a wrap-up, Brett, you know, what are kind of your thoughts, anything that we haven't mentioned that you wanted to bring up about anything um, prepping for a tournament or tactics-wise, something that, uh, you know, we maybe didn't touch on or are left out? Yeah, I think I think just get over the hump. You know, if you haven't participated in a tournament, you're nervous to do so. You don't think that you're, you know, um, prepared for that, even if you're a newer player, just get over that hump. Get in, play a bunch of different opponents. Um, you'll find that everybody has a unique play style to themselves. Everybody approaches the game differently. You're going to learn something from every game. Uh, I've found that, and it's still, I mean, it's still true even today. There were some things that I picked up at nationals, you know, from Cyrus. He actually put a list on the table that I had not exactly that list, but a a style of list that I had envisioned playing and just never got around to playing it. He actually put it on the table and I was able to see firsthand how it functioned. That's really important experience that you can't, you can't buy just reading through the rules. You can't buy that um, just theorizing, you know, or thinking in your head, this is how it'll go. Seeing it play out in person and in the way that it worked you know, is really, is really key. And I think if Cyrus and I had played any mission other than um, the Winds of Winter, where his commander was not scoring two victory points, if it was any other mission, he would have beaten me because his Knights of Cassidy Rock, his guard, and his flaidmen all on the same flank were just too much defense, too much for me to get through with what I had. If Roos was scoring two points the entire game... Uh, I I would have lost. I have no doubt in my mind because I didn't have the ability to offset that by killing his units and getting to the objectives. I would have had to get rid of those three units, and then I had two rounds to actually go kill Roos, and I don't think I could have done it. 
So that's it's an interesting thing to see it played out because, you know, he's putting 48 wounds on the board, but with his synergies that he had with his NCUs and the things that he had going on with Denial because of Roos and Taiwan NCU, he essentially stole, like, not, not necessarily stole, but he blocked me away from doing things that I needed to do for long enough to draw the game out to that sixth round. So this is stuff that you can pick up by playing these in-person games. Yeah, and so for anyone that's newer or even experienced out there, because this is kind of like a double-sided uh, thing, you know, don't be afraid to ask your more experienced players for help. Or, and, you know, the more experienced players out there, if you have newer players, you know, offer the help. But, I mean, just kind of gauge uh, gauge them, you know, the newer players, and figure out how the best way to approach it. As Brett was saying, you don't, you don't want to sound, like, condescending. Uh, but, you know, just try to, you know, if you're a newer player, try to reach out to, you know, anyone really, you know, online or in person. Um, and those that are more experienced in your play group, Try to help uh, your, the newer players, you know, grow and want to uh, play in the tournaments. You know, I think, you know, even for casual players, uh, tournaments are just as healthy for casual players as tournament players getting a bunch of casual games in is healthy for them. Um, just like I said, finding that nice balance. Um, and, you know, I would say like a pretty healthy amount is like one tournament a month. That's what we do. Um, and, you know, give incentives for newer players uh, to want to do a tournament. The last thing you want is for it to be so top heavy that, you know, it's like first place gets everything or first and second and that's it. Players that never, you know, in their minds have a chance to get first or second. They just stop wanting to spend that money. Um, so like, I, I don't know if it's reasonable for other people to do this, but what we do at our shop is uh, last place gets a unit box. Um, what we do is uh, our shop is nice enough that it's a uh, $15 in-store purchase. So you're basically investing in yourself. You know, you're you're not just throwing money away to first and second place. You're, you know, it's a $15 in-store purchase. If anything you want in the store, it doesn't even have to be ice and fire. And then uh, they do $10 in store credit per person that entered. That goes towards the price support. And, uh, you know, just try to make it more friendly in, in that regards. And I'm talking more for local events. Obviously, you want to be able to draw people from far away by, you know, being able to give it to, like, first and second and whatnot, best painted and sportsmen and all that stuff. But, you know, it, it all starts with the local. Um, it, that's kind of where you develop the group. And then once you have your group, if it's a strong group, kind of like, uh, you know, I can't speak for a lot of places because I don't know them super well, but I know, you know, Brett's group down in Family Time Games. We have the guys over at Gamer Haven in Ohio. And then you have us in uh, Illinois in, uh, at Mount Prospect uh, Games Plus. You know, we have really great groups of guys that are willing to travel. Um, you know, I mean, Cyrus, I I forget where he said he came from. I think he was at Missouri or uh, Kansas, somewhere, somewhere kind of far. I think it was like eight something hours, eight and a half hours, something drive. And 
you know, you get that group together and making those trips, you know, they can be really fun, especially when you're dividing that cost between a lot of people. So definitely don't be afraid to, you know, try to coach up some of your newer players and newer players don't, you know, be scared to like ask for advice. And let's say you don't really have a group or experienced players to ask for advice. Definitely feel free to, you know, message me or some of the other guys on the small council, you know, we're always ready to help others, um, you know, figure some stuff out. Uh, I can't promise I'll respond immediately, but I'm usually pretty good at getting back really quickly. You know, I don't like, you know, with my OCD, I don't like, unread messages uh left you know just sitting there so um so yeah definitely uh definitely go that route if possible um and you know you'll you'll find that the investment will go a long way uh, i think i mentioned this one once before but when we first started playing you know jose from small council and justin they didn't think they're all that great but in time, you know, and this is even true for, you know, Spencer from Small Council Radio, you know, when they first started, you know, they were just, you know, okay, and they just, they didn't feel like they were all that great because they lose a lot of games, and, you know, over time, you know, they became amazing players, you know. Justin always does amazing at the big events at uh, Family Time. I'm pretty sure he's gone, like, 3-1, and one, like, every single tournament. And it just comes down to the tiebreaker on how high or low he is in that 3-1 bracket. And though he'll never, like, admit to how good he is, he always runs neutrals. Spencer hasn't done anything, like, major yet, but I can just, you know, I'm willing to, like, put money on it that if he does anything major, you know, he's going to do really well, too. Uh, And it's just, it comes down to, like, that investment, you know, and trying to get, you know, just take every avenue you can uh, as far as, like, prep as well. You know, like I said, talk to people who are really experienced, and, you know, the that information alone will help you get really far. Um, with that said, we can kind of close it out. Um, since it is a shorter show, uh, we can uh, actually for once do, uh, you know, kind of shout outs and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, the spiel that we used to do before our episodes were like two hours each, each show. So uh, I do want to remind everyone we do this show. It's been a little sporadic lately because me being uh, out in Louisiana, uh, you know, it's been kind of crazy when and, you know, when we can do the show, but normally uh, it should be every other Tuesday and every other Sunday. Uh, Tuesday is at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Sunday is at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. Those hours could vary, like, by an hour. So it could be, like, 7, 8, or 9 on Tuesday. Sunday could be, like, 3, 4, or 5. Um, it just depends on when we're free. But generally, those will be the days um, – and then we might try to throw in, uh, like, Fridays in there every so often because uh, Spencer got a promotion at his job, and so he's no longer uh, available on Tuesdays or Sundays. So in order to kind of get him in the mix and to um, maybe even just provide more content for you guys, we might start rotating, like, every other Friday in there. Um, but just want to remind everyone of that, you know, we try to do this show, you know, on the average once a week, you know, so by the end of the year, 52 episodes. Um, and 
you know, we do the show live. Uh, you know, a lot of people are uh, super busy around those times and just are unable to make the live show. But we're always, you know, we always do the show live every single time. So if ever you see our link and we're live, feel free to call in. And, you know, we'd love to have you guys on uh, to talk about, you know, the topic we're, we're doing. Uh, for those that can't, like, call in because you're in a place that you can't really call or you just don't even feel like talking, you know, on the phone, you can uh, join our Discord if you haven't already. And there is a tab in there to talk to us, uh, like, via text, and we'll read it off and we'll kind of answer it. Like, if you have a question, maybe even we get something wrong, like we're talking about something we get something wrong, you can even correct us in there. You know, I don't mind that at all. You know, I... I'd much rather that, you know, than kind of seem silly and not catch it and, you know, people listen to it and be like, ah, oh, these guys are, <laughs> these guys don't know what they're doing. So definitely, uh, you know, check that out. And, um, you know, you should be able to find the link still on our Facebook page. Again, for uh, I wanted to remind everyone about our Facebook page. If you go to it, you know, share it out wherever you can. Um, for every hundred likes we get, so once we hit 800, we're going to give out a unit box of the winner's choice. Uh, and then if we hit a uh, – so once we hit 900, we'll do it again. And once we hit 1,000, we'll give out two unit boxes – or we'll, sorry, we'll give out one unit box of the winner's choice, and another person will win a starter box of their choice. So definitely get those uh, – you know, hit up our Facebook page and hit a like, you know, I'd love to see it, you know, to give out product. You know, we we try to do giveaways quite often. Haven't done one in a bit because we're still waiting on all those card packs that we gave, uh, did a raffle for, and I want to make sure we get all those all those winners their uh, prizes before we start committing to giving out more stuff. But we definitely have like a back back uh, storage of things that we want to give away. I know I have a Greyjoy starter and a Baratheon starter that I plan to give away in the near future um, as well as some other product. Uh, and then some other um, non-Ice and Fire awesome product that I will not mention yet until I have it in hand that we want to give away. But it will be – you'll be able to implement it to your Ice and Fire. We'll put it at that. Um, before I do my shout-outs, Brett, did you have any uh, shout-outs you wanted to do? Yeah, I just want to remind everyone this upcoming weekend, we are doing a Gen Con tournament on Sunday at Family Time Games. We're looking to get everybody who's going to play there around 10 o'clock. Um, feel free to send me a PM. I don't think we're going to need to reserve any spots or have a limit. I wouldn't expect us to exceed really 16 people here because of the really short notice. Um, again, I will be the TO of this event. And um, definitely feel free to come out and play and not feel any pressure. I know that um, a lot of the indie guys are playing. They haven't played a ton of games, so they're really just getting out there to play in the event and get their feet wet. Uh, you shouldn't see anything super nasty, meta, build, competitive type thing. It'll be competitive because they're good players, but you're not going to run into any of the really nasty stuff there in indie. So it should be a really fun event. Um, feel free to bring like your painted models or whatever you want to, whatever you want to bring and come out and, and spend the day playing with us. It's uh, 
it's really community focused and uh, we're trying to build that community back. So I think the majority of it is going to be indie locals who, you know, haven't played a ton of games. So feel free to come out and join us there. Um, and then the other shout outs, of course, as always, our, um, our fellow content creators, our, our friends in the community. Um, as I say nearly every time, these are guys that are giving you their, their personal time. They're taking their time to create this content for you guys, the same as we are. Um, almost none of them make any money. There's not enough. There's not enough views on YouTube for this game to make money. Um, some of them have a Patreon and things like this. Um, but definitely always support those guys whenever you can. Watch their videos. Give them a subscribe. Give them a like. That type of stuff, as I understand it, really matters um, for their account. Um, and then one last one, I'm going to specifically shout out a couple of things outside of just the general content creator. Um, super, super awesome painter, uh, GW, um, his, sorry, uh, you know, GW painter extraordinaire, Duncan Rhodes has kicked off his paint campaign. My understanding is that it was fully funded uh, the $50,000 pledged within 15 minutes. And as of now, <laughs> the, kick, the Kickstarter is over a million dollars. I keep looking just because I want to see it. I just want to see it go to the moon because it's such a cool concept. And he's over a million dollars, and it's still got like 20 days to go. Um, I've done the math. Uh, if you pledge at the highest level, you end up getting like, I think it's 40 or $50 worth of minis plus, 60 paints, and now that we've broken all of the stretch goals, you'll get two special effects, too. So basically, 62 paint pots, the cool minis, and all of the other really neat stuff, some stickers and some other stuff that's going to come with it. Uh, it's like $192 at that level. It works out to just over $3 a pot of paint, and that's if you, if you count the miniatures as just extra and you don't put any value on them. Otherwise, if you put the value that the miniatures are, you're almost paying like $2 for each pot. They're drop bottles. Um, a lot of people really like those. They store so well. You don't have to mess around with spilling the pot. A lot of guys are using wet pallets now, and so the paint drippers are just perfect for that. I cannot wait to get mine. Uh, they're going to be sent out and getting to us around January. I am super excited to get them, keep them organized, and I'm even going to sell off some of my Citadel colors just to, you know, have one paint set that's really clean and organized. I'm very excited about that. So if you have the opportunity or the ability to pledge it, not only is it a great value, but Duncan has come into this game. He's playing it. Um, he just loves the game. And uh, so it'd be really, really cool to support a friendly Song of Ice and Fire player and really get him started because he's helped so many people um, do their painting and, and, and get the courage to start painting models. He's been doing these videos for so long, and they're excellent videos. Um, and then other than that, I know that the uh, UK GT, London GT, I think is what it's called, is getting ready to kick off. Um, it's coming up soon. You can follow along with them on A Song of Ice and Fire Stats. Uh, check out their big tournament. They've got a ton of people playing, so it'll be a really cool chance to see what the Euros are doing with the meta. I call them the Euros. It's probably not very nice. Our friends, our friends across the ocean, let's see, 
their take on the meta, see how they're playing, um, see what they're doing with their list, and we'll see who comes out on top over there. Uh, Duncan is playing in person there as well, so should be really cool. I think he plays Lannisters as far as I know, and I think he likes Jamie. So root for Jamie the Kingslayer. It's not very often that you see a Jamie-led Lannister army on the field. So I'm I'm pulling for Duncan. <laughs> I hope I hope he does really well with uh, with Jamie Lannisters if that's the route he goes. So um, other than that. Um, you know, content creators and just uh, follow along all of the events that are happening uh, across the ocean. They do them pretty regularly. They end up on a Song of Ice and Fire staff. If you haven't registered, you can register and start logging your games. It's not necessarily about being the highest rated player. It's just about all of these games being submitted so that we have a really nice pool of data to look at um, list trends and meta trends and kind of get an idea of what's working and what's not. So if you haven't registered, it's free. You only need an email. Go sign up. And then to, um, to add to the uh, Kickstarter, you do have, I think, like 18 more days or something like that. Uh, but don't, you know, if you're, I'd suggest go looking at it right now. And if you're sh sure you want it, don't, don't hesitate. I can't tell you how many Kickstarters I've looked at with the intention to back. And then I forget, I forget all about it and then it's over. So, you know, maybe just pledge a dollar if, if that is the case and you have to wait because that usually gets your foot in the door. Um, I'd read the fine print, but normally if you pledge at least a dollar, you can add to it later, even after it's ended. But uh, that out, I, I second that definitely. Um, you know, I want to give a shout out to, uh, you know, as you were saying, Brett, the other content creators in particular, definitely go check out Sunday Slaughter. They, they're an amazing podcast as well as, uh, you know, Chris Tran, he, from, he, uh, you know, does, uh, Battle reports. He was at the U.S. Nationals and uh, recorded a bunch of matches. I believe one just went up, if I'm not mistaken. I thought I saw an, um, saw something posted, but definitely go check that out. I know Sunday Slaughter does have a Patreon, so if you end up checking out his content and you and you like what you see, definitely consider uh, consider backing him there. Um, now, we do not have a Patreon, but the best way you can do to support us, just give us those likes on our uh, Facebook page and share out our content. Um, but uh, if you're looking for someone to support uh, via Patreon, definitely check out Sunday Slaughter because they do some of the, not to take away from all the other amazing creators out there, but Sunday Slaughter does some amazing work. Um, I think with that said, uh, that, that pretty much covers it. Um, I want to thank all of you for listening in through, you know, if you're still here listening, you know, we appreciate uh, all of you that listen in. You know, we do this for you guys. We don't, well, we don't really do it for any other reason. Um, you know, we, like Brett said, we don't get any money to do this. We're not sponsored by CMON. We don't get product. Uh, I just, I, I want to see this game grow and, uh, and flourish. You know, that's why, you know, we want to do those giveaways for you guys. We want to promote all the other content creators because it's not like, you know, we want to be, you know, the best out there. So don't listen or watch anyone else. We want, we want everyone to get the views and the listens. We want this game to grow and just keep growing. You know, uh, 
CMON isn't perfect, but CMON, in my opinion, does do a great job. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of things going on, you know, in the last you know year and a half that's kind of really thrown a huge wrench into things. And you know, again, glass half full. Just you know, look at the fact that, in my opinion, we have the best tabletop game out there beautiful miniatures and that, you know, there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel and that we're going to end up with, you know, a nearly perfect uh, tabletop game. So uh, I guess that's kind of like my last shout out is to, to see on themselves. You know, I, I appreciate Michael, Chanel and, and Fabio for everything that they do. But with that said, everybody, thank you so much, Brett, for coming on. Uh, and, you know, we will catch you guys all sometime within a week. I don't know. I'm <laughs> I'm still here for possibly another two weeks. So um, we will keep you updated uh, for the next show. Uh, with that said, this is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. <laughs>